Um, so some of you, if, if you know my story, you know that my wife and I, uh, before we lived in Nashville, uh, we were church planters in British Columbia. Some of you don't know that British Columbia is in Canada, and hey, that's totally cool if you don't know that. We tend to be pretty ignorant of Canada here in the United States. But So we were church planters in Vancouver, British Columbia. We were there for about five years. And, uh, you know, it, it was uh, one of those formative seasons of my life, those five years. And it was, it was difficult. It was rewarding. One of the most difficult things about it is that we labored for almost five years. And at the end, when we left Canada, we had to close down the church plant that we went there to start, uh, which was just a really painful experience. And all kinds of stories I could tell you coming out of that. But there's, there's one moment as we were preparing to leave Canada that I'll never forget. You know, uh, the night before we left Canada, we went out to dinner with a couple, a husband and wife couple who were good friends of ours who we'd been praying. You know, we wanted them to come there to Jesus and they still haven't, you know, and we sat down to dinner with them that night. And um, it was really interesting coming into that dinner, uh, God had been giving my wife Amy and I a specific kind of phrase or image to help comfort us as we prepared to leave Canada. And the, the image was this idea that, you know, uh, on our best day, all we do in the kingdom is we get to plant seeds of the gospel of Jesus. We get to plant seeds of God's love in people's life, and we may not get to see the way they grow. And he kept reminding us of that over and over again. And so we find ourselves at dinner with this couple that we've been praying for that we love dearly. And uh, during the dinner, we're in this restaurant, and they say, we have some gifts for your family. And so, you know, they had these gifts they pull out, and they gave some gifts to our sons. You know, at the time, they were like three and one, so they gave them some cute little gifts that they had gotten. And they said, we have a gift for you as well, Aaron and Amy. And I'll never forget, she pulled out this, like, cardboard tube that was, like, this long and, like, this big around. I'm like, where are you hiding that? That's amazing that you, like, brought that in here. And she pulls it out, and she hands it across the table to us. And I remember opening it up. And I pulled it out, and it was a, a piece of wood, of Douglas fir, to be specific, that had been carved into a very distinctive shape. And, you know, uh, the, the shape was, it was kind of round on this end, and it had what looked like kind of a, a tail coming up out of it. Uh, looked kind of like a, a tadpole or something else small with a wiggly tail that comes out of it, if you guys are with me. You guys awake this morning, you know what I'm talking about here, right? Okay, and so... Um, you know, I remember looking at it and immediately seeing this. She's giving it to me in a restaurant. I'm pulling it out of this box at a table, all these other tables around us. And I'm like holding it like, whoa, you know, like, I didn't, and I didn't know what it was. And here, here's what I did. Almost immediately in my heart, I began to reject the idea that this gift could have any significance because I judged it by the form that it was in, the shape that it was in. And I remember putting it on the table and she says to me, she says, she says, now, I found that in an art museum. The sculptor that sculpted it, he told me that was his rendering of a seed that was sprouting. And I remember, like, even in that, some of you got it right away. You know, the Lord has been saying, hey, you planted seeds. But even in that moment, I still was kind of like, okay, you know. And I, and I remember I get up, and I'm, I'm walking to the bathroom, and literally God kind of smacks me across the face and says, Aaron, do you see this gift of encouragement that I've just given you? You've been, I've been reminding you that you've planted seeds and now this person that has not yet come to know me gives you a gift of a seed that is sprouting so that you can see that I'm at work. And I'm like, oh God, thank you for the gift. Here's the reality though. I almost missed this amazing gift and message of encouragement because I was so fixated on the form that it came in that I couldn't see it for what it was. You know, we're gonna get to the part of Acts chapter two today where we get to see the Holy Spirit being poured out on God's people. <laughs> Now, you know, I said this a couple weeks ago. I said that, you know, some people say, hey, the, the formal title of this book is, is the Acts of the Apostles. Some say that a more appropriate title would be the Acts of Jesus and His Holy Spirit because over and over again, as we work through the book of Acts, we're gonna keep seeing the people of God filled with the Holy Spirit. We're gonna see it here in Acts chapter two. We're gonna see it again in Acts chapter four and Acts chapter five and Acts chapter 10. And sometimes it's the same person being filled with the spirit. And it's like this, there's this movement of God's spirit. 
And we shouldn't be surprised by this as we read Acts because Jesus said in Acts chapter one, hey, wait here until my father has given you the gift that he promised. And here's what I want us to hear today. This was not just a one-time promise to a few followers of Jesus in the first century. This is his continued promise. We'll see this next week later in Acts chapter two where where Peter says, hey, uh, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and those who are far off. And so we see this promise from God that he's promised he's going to give his Holy Spirit. The promise is, I mean, the problem is, is that many of us today, although we've heard that this is part of Christianity, we've heard that this is a promise, that many times we miss the gift that God's trying to give us or we reject the gift that God's trying to give us. And usually we miss it or reject it because we're too focused on the form that the gift comes in. And because we're so fixated on the form, we can't see the gift for what it really is. And today, my prayer, my prayer is that God will move us as a church family beyond either expecting a certain form of the Spirit or rejecting the Spirit because of a form. And instead, He will move us as a people, to be a people who are just hungry and longing for more of God's heart, more of God's presence in our lives. So let's read the text together. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Luke writes this. He says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, some of your Bibles might say languages, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't, these, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine to drink. So this is the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 2. Now, um, this is the story of the first outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on God's people. And there are several different ways to kind of respond uh, to this story, to this text. And I kind of want to just name a few of those because we're all probably in one of these camps, you know. You know, we live in a time where we are modern and we've been enlightened and we are more reasonable than the generations past. And we understand how the world works. And because of that, sometimes it moves us to kind of this posture of skepticism when we read a story like that. We go, a wind from heaven, tongues of fire, speaking other languages that you've never learned. I don't know that I can really believe that that actually happened. Somebody probably made that up, put it in here to try to advance the cause of Jesus after his death. That's, That's one posture. But there's also kind of this more Christianized form of skepticism. And that's where we go, okay, I'm, I believe in God, so he probably did that then, but he certainly would not do that now. Like, that's just kind of crazy. A blowing wind from heaven? Like, no, I don't, I don't think, you know, he had a purpose for that. He doesn't do that anymore. So both of those, though, are forms of skepticism. 
One says it believes, one says it doesn't, but they both are skeptical to what God can or will do. But there's this other response that is not skepticism. Sometimes there's another response that is obsession. Obsession where we see a form of God's spirit being poured out and we go, oh man, that's so cool, I want more of that. And a lot of you maybe didn't grow up in a tradition that was obsessed with certain forms of the spirit, but some of you probably did, where certain miracles, certain signs, certain wonders were given more value than others and we become obsessed with the outpouring of God's spirit taking one form over the other and meaning more than another. And so we sit around and we pray, oh God, will you give me a flaming tongue of fire on my head? God, help me to speak in another language. And we ask for like a specific form of the outpouring of God's spirit. But one of the things that hit me this week as I was reading is that these earliest followers of Jesus, they would have had no preconceived notion about what the outpouring of the Spirit might look like. It never happened before. God had never poured out his Spirit in such a way as what he does in Acts chapter two. So they weren't sitting around together in that room going, come on, God, fireball on my head, fireball on my head. Come on, God, fireball on my head. No, they weren't doing that. They were going, God, we want you. God, we want you. God, we trust you. We trust your promises. See, they came together and they had kind of this open-handed expectancy. Remember last week we talked about expectancy? They were expectant for Jesus to keep his promise, but man, they were completely open-handed on what it would look like, what it would feel like, what they would experience when Jesus came through on his promise. Today, I don't think, Jesus, I don't think God is asking us to focus on the form of what happened in Acts 2. Instead, I think he wants us to see, hey, I love pouring out my spirit on my people. Luke 11, Jesus makes it very clear. In Luke 11, he says, hey, the Lord loves to give his spirit to those who ask. He's generous. But I don't think he wants us to obsess over the form that it comes in or to reject it because we don't like the form that it comes in. Instead, I think what he wants us to see this morning is what the outpouring of the spirit follows. In other words, what comes before it? And I think he wants us to see how the outpouring of the spirit functions. We're gonna look at both of those. Now we're gonna start with uh, what does the outpouring of the Spirit follow? What does it come after? What comes before this? And we've talked about this a lot already, so I don't wanna have to spend a ton of time here, but look at chapter two, verse one. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all what? Together. They were all together in one place. Remember this from last week. Acts 1, verse 14, it says they were constantly together in prayer. In Luke 24, Luke says it the same way. It says, and the believers were together constantly in praise in the temple courts. Is that there was this togetherness. What, what comes before, I believe what always precipitates an outpouring of God's spirit is a united and persistent pursuit of God by the people of God in prayer and praise. It's this persistent, united prayer and praise. That, that is what precedes the outpouring of God's spirit. Now, you know, over the last several weeks, I've had people just keep coming up to me and go, man, these last several weeks have been amazing. Like, it's just like, it's like man, we've been on fire. Like, God has been moving. There's been testimonies. People have been sharing stuff. And it's like, we should not be surprised by that. This is, we're just seeing what God promised, Right? The spiritual thermostat in our church and in our city is raising because the people of God have decided that we're going to be persistent in our togetherness in seeking the will of God for our city. And so we've been seeing the God, we've been seeing God at work. Now, the question that we have to wrestle with is how will we persist together? How will we do it? So I ask you as an individual or as a family unit, how will you persist in prayer and praising God? Some of you picked up new rhythms during the fast that we did in February, and you've already dropped those. Hey, it's okay if you dropped them. You can pick them up again. I know I've dropped some of mine. The word here is persistence, not perfection. 
Too often we think that the Lord wants our perfection and when we drop something, we go, oh, I failed, I can't do it anymore. We don't pick it back up. I'll just confess right now, funny story, in the middle of the fast in February, uh, my wife and I were doing a three-day major fast. You know, we decided not to eat for three days and I remember I got to the end of the second night, I was home alone, we have four kids. My wife was out that night, I'm like putting my kids to bed and it was like the battle of the century, trying to get my boys in bed, trying to get my three-year-old daughter in bed. I'm wearing my four-month-old daughter and she's just screaming her head off like right in front of me. And I remember I finally get my older boys in bed, I finally get my daughter in bed and I walk into the kitchen and I'm like, God, I can't handle it anymore. And I ripped into a bag of Fritos and I just pounded some Fritos and I felt so guilty. I put the Fritos back in the cabinet and I walked in and just collapsed on the couch like, oh Lord, I'm sorry. I'm terrible. I'm a terrible pastor. I'm a terrible Christian. My wife came home. I'm like, Amy, I failed. She's like, what happened? I'm like, I ate Fritos. And she did what you guys did. She laughed. She laughed because she understood that what God is after is our persistence, not our perfection. You see, if, if I let perfection be the goal, then there's no way I'm getting back on the horse to ride the next day. And Amy just said, no, 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 God doesn't need your perfection, Aaron. Let's be persistent. Let's keep going. And so we jump back in. You know, God didn't reject me because I felt, so if, if, if you've fallen off, if you've dropped some habits, hey, let's persist together. Pick them up. Pick them up. Let's keep going. But you know, it's not just about what you as an individual or your family you are going to do. There's this question about what are we as a church going to do to keep persisting together? So there's a couple things, one of which we've already been doing. Actually, both of these we've already been doing, but I just want to point them out so you know what's going on. So one of the things we're going to keep doing together is we're going to keep praying together on Sunday mornings in our time with one another. Um, I did not grow up in a church where that was normal. And for some of you, it's been uncomfortable, and that's okay. But we're going to persist together so that when we come together, we worship, we open the word, we take communion, and man, we look at the people next to us and we pray with each other because we want to be together in this. So each week, Dave and I both are going to be committed to trying to help us find time and ways to pull together and pray with each other. But there's one other thing we're going to do to persist together. A lot of you don't know this, but every single Sunday, we have a prayer team that gets here before our gatherings begin. And their only goal, they get here at 8 a.m., is to pray for us to pray for this gathering, to pray for our church across the whole day. They walk through the room and they pray for each chair. Somebody probably prayed for the chair that you're sitting in this morning and they were praying for you. But I'll just tell you that right now, like our prayer team that prays on Sunday mornings, it is embarrassingly small. It's just a handful of people that are committed to doing it. And what I would love to see is that God begins to move a lot of us to say, hey, I want to be a part of establishing a culture of prayer so that we will see the outpouring of God's spirit for the sake of his glory in our city. And if you want to do that, like, come talk to me afterwards, and I'll help you figure out how to get signed up. You know, one Sunday a month, that's all we ask. You can do as many as you want, but the minimum, one Sunday a month. So that's what we're going to do to kind of persist together as we continue to move forward. And we want to be expectant and expect the Lord to move, understanding that sometimes it's going to be hard, sometimes life is hard, but we will continue to link arms and walk together in expectancy for God's promises. Okay, so what, what is it that the outpouring of the Spirit follows It follows united, persistent prayer and praise in God's people. But now the second question we have to ask is, how does it function? What does the Holy Spirit do? What does he do when he's poured out? Like, what does the outpouring of the Spirit function to do in the midst of God's body? And so I want us to see kind of four things that we see in Acts chapter 2 that I think give us an insight into why we need the Holy Spirit, why we want the Holy Spirit, and how he functions in our midst. And in the middle of this, we're not going to get caught up on the form that it took in Acts 2. Okay, We're going to see the function that was there. 
So the first thing I want you to see, the first function is this, is when the Holy Spirit is poured out upon God's people, he brings heaven into your life right now. He brings heaven into your life right now. Uh, look, at, look at verse two. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from where? From heaven and filled the room. Now this is deeply significant. Uh, these followers of Jesus just 10 days earlier, they watched Jesus seemingly disappear from their eyes into where? Heaven. And now suddenly heaven is breaking into their room. And this is what Jesus began to tell them. He said, hey, listen, here's how I want you to pray. Our Father in where? Heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That when the Holy Spirit is poured out, all of heaven begins to break into our reality right now, into your life right here and right now. Now, why was it a wind? Well, God knows what he's doing. Our question, I run into this all the time. I'll hear stories of the Holy Spirit breaking out amongst the people group. And I'll share that story as an encouragement. And somebody go, yeah, but why would God do that? I mean, why, why, why would he choose to move like that? Why, why would he make this, you know, it's like all these supernatural things. Why, why would that happen? Man, God doesn't have to explain to us why. Here's what I want you to know is that when the Holy Spirit is poured out, heaven begins to break in. Now, I will tell you, those earliest followers of Jesus, they would have understood what wind was symbolic of. Because all through the Old Testament, this idea of wind, it was an emblem for the spirit or the creative breath of God. In Psalm 33, 6, the psalmist says that from the breath of his nostrils, God created all that you see, you know. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 8, it says, that, it says that Ezekiel prophesied, and the breath of God brought life to a valley that was full of lifeless dry bones. Jesus himself in John chapter 3, verse 8, he says it this way. He says, hey, the wind blows where it pleases. You know, you can tell that it's moving. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with those who are born of the Spirit, you see, the wind was the sign of God's presence, of God's breath. And it functioned to show them, hey, heaven is coming right here, right now. Now, this is still how the Spirit functions in our midst today. Uh, I think about a gentleman that I knew in Canada, and um, you know, when I first met him, his, he was in a rough spot. Like His life was in a really hard place. I met him because one of his friends invited him to this Bible study that we were doing, and I don't recommend this, but his friend invited him to come by telling him that it was a philosophy club, and uh, so he shows up expecting a philosophy club, and we're ready to like study the Bible together. Needless to say, he's kind of ticked off, but he stuck around. He stood like at the back of the room the whole time. Now, I find out later, like months later, after I mean, he became a Christian eventually, I found out months later um, that when he first showed up to that Bible study, the condition of his life was such that he was secretly going to the men's bathroom in the church building we were in and snorting lines of cocaine off the back of the men's urinal. Like he was just in the grips of addiction and brokenness in his life. But something really cool happened. I, this was a 10-week Bible study, and near the end of it, we had this moment where we had a, a, a night of prayer and worship where we invited people to ask God to fill them with his spirit. At this point, the guy had been clean and sober for several weeks, and in the middle of worship, he just begins laughing uncontrollably. Like, he can't stop laughing, and he comes over and finds me. He's like, Aaron, I don't know what's going on. Like, I just feel so much joy in my life. He goes, and my hands feel like they're on fire right now. Like, what is going on? And I'm like, man, I don't fully understand the form of all that God is doing in your life, but here's what I know he wants you to know. He wants you to know that all the joy of heaven is yours because he is filling you with his spirit. 
See, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on God's people, he gives us all of heaven's resources, all of heaven's joy, all of heaven's love, all of heaven's freedom. Addictions were broken in this guy's life. All of heaven's courage, all of heaven's hope, all of heaven's generosity, all of heaven's patience gets poured out into our lives, into our hearts because of the grace of God Almighty. It's like all of heaven. Now, I'll never forget the first, one of the first times that my wife testified to the work of the Spirit in my life. Um, uh, you know, I used to never want to take on household projects because I knew that if it took me any longer than 30 minutes, I'd get frustrated and I'd lose my temper and end up breaking something, you know, and I just never tried anything because I had the worst temper. And I remember uh, Amy still tells this story. She's like, she remembers one day, several years back, I came to her and I said, hey, the lawnmower's broken. I'm going to go try to fix it. And she went, oh man, like she kind of knew where this was going. And uh, she, she, I'll never forget, she said 30 minutes went by and she kept waiting for me to come in yelling, oh, I broke something, uh, you know, whatever. And she looks out the window after 30 minutes and I'm out there just kind of looking. I'm not kicking anything. I'm not throwing anything. I'm like patient, I'm calm and I'm working on the lawnmower and I wasn't able to fix it and I never lost my temper. I'm telling you this because that is the work of the spirit in my life. Too often we expect the work of the spirit to be a certain sign or a miracle or whatever. When we don't see it, we go, oh man, Guys, the Holy Spirit longs to bring all of heaven's resources into your life right now, whether it is a miraculous gift or whether it is the fruit of the Spirit helping you experience all of heaven in the here and now. Man, do you want that? <laughs> I want it and I need it. I need it. And I'm not too embarrassed to admit that I need the help of God to be the man I long to be. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit is that he brings all of heaven into your life in the here and now. The next thing that he does is he brings the unity of God to God's people. He brings the unity of God to God's people. Look what happens in verse four. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. I love this description. Is in that room, you've got the 12 apostles, the people that we kind of go, oh man, they're the super spiritual ones. You've got Mary, the mother of Jesus in that room. <laughs> You know, you've got Jesus' brothers in that room. And we would, if any of us were to walk in there, we'd be like, whoa, I don't think I belong in here. This is like the spiritually elite. I'm gonna get out of here. But I want you to see what happens is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he does not single out Peter. He does not single out Mary. But no, this tongue of fire, whatever that was, it separates out and it rests on each of their heads and all of them are filled with the Spirit. There's this unity in what God longs to do through his Spirit and his people. Too often we step into this place or any church that we go to and we bring with us the spirit of our age, which is the spirit of competition, the spirit of comparison. And we sit here and we look at what's happening in other people's lives and we go, ah, oh, we either judge them or we feel jealous of them because we're not experiencing the same thing they are. Oh man, they seem to be having this religious epiphany and I'm not, I'm not as holy as they are. We're like, oh man, look how much they love Jesus. They're raising their hands and dancing and clapping. They must really love Jesus. I'm not that, I'm not that spiritual as they are. Oh, they, they say they have this gift of healing or speaking in tongues or prophecy and I've never, I'm not. Guys, listen, that is straight from the pit of hell. That is the work of our enemy who longs to divide us and turn us against one another. There is only one body and there is one spirit we are all called in the name of Jesus to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And when he is poured out on us, we will be united to the glory of God the Father. And the Spirit of God longs to crucify the spirit of comparison, the spirit of competition, which seeks to tear us down and get us at each other's throat. Man, 
I want to see the Spirit unite us, Ethos. I want us to be united by the power of Jesus in our midst, pouring out his Spirit upon us so that we will be one body to the glory of God Almighty. And so when the Spirit is poured out, we see that heaven comes into our life right now. We see that God's body is unified to the glory of God the Father. And let me just say something else about the unity real quick before I move on. Is that when the Spirit comes, you can read in 1 Corinthians 12, you can read in Romans 12, that the Holy Spirit does give gifts for the sake of the body. And if we're not careful, we'll begin to think that some of those gifts are more important or more holy or more spiritual than the other, and that is just not true. All of the gifts point us back to the giver and there for the glory of his name and for the edification of his body. And so we need a space in our church family to be big enough where we're okay with somebody else having a gift that I don't. We don't see that as a threat. We don't see that, as, you know, it's like we're not, we're not scared of that. Man, guys, let's just be open to whatever God wants to do. Open-handed expectancy. Open-handed expectancy. Okay, so, so next, third thing. So he brings heaven into our life right now. He brings unity to God's people. Third thing, he empowers God's people for God's mission. He empowers God's people for God's mission. Now look at what happens. It says, um, they were staying in Jerusalem. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, uh, they were filled and able to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. What were they saying? Look in verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Verse 11. So these crowds begin to gather around and these followers of Jesus begin to declare with their mouths the wonders of God. Now, let me just explain what was happening here. There's about 120 followers of Jesus. They're crammed into this little room. They've been in this room you know, since Jesus left for about 10 days waiting for God to do something. Can you imagine if we gathered here and we were all committed to just like hanging out in the cannery for 10 days with each other, worshiping and praising God and waiting for him? That's kind of what's happening in this space. Now, the Spirit of God comes, and he does something in them, okay? So they're like, they start to experience the Holy Spirit. They begin sharing and praising God more and sharing with one another. But what I want you to see is this crowd begins to assemble. The crowd did not cram their way into this room, but what God was doing in the room began to overflow into Jerusalem to where the crowd began to witness it and to observe it and to see it. You see, what God longs to do, the unifying he does in his body, the, the gift of heaven within his body, it is not just meant for to stay within the body. We don't ask for more of the Holy Spirit so that we can have a better worship gathering. We don't, even, we don't ask for more of the Holy Spirit because we need God to be our cosmic therapist or genie to make us feel better about whatever issue we have. No, God loves to heal, and God will long to heal you and bring life to you. But I'm just gonna tell you, he does not do that for your sake, but for the glory of his name on earth. See, the Holy Spirit equips us to live on mission, to declare the wonders of God. What God wants to do in us, ethos, cannot be contained into this space on a Sunday. It cannot even be contained in the space of your house church during the week. He longs to move through us you see, God gives his spirit, not so that we'll feel better about ourselves, but so that the world will feel better about the love that he has to show them and to give them. And as we learn to function as one body that is united, the world will see, and then we will have opportunity to declare. Now, I'm just gonna tell you that this idea of the spirit empowering us to declare, declare the wonders of God in our lives, it will push against everything the culture around you tells you is right and good. It just will. Our culture says, hey, no, 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 we all have to be completely tolerant of each other. This idea that there is one way 
There's one way that there is one name by which every person on earth can be saved. We'll get that in a, in a little bit in Acts. That's what they said. There's only one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and that name is Jesus. And that is one of the most offensive things you can say in our culture. And a stat just came out this week uh, by the Barna Group. Uh, the Barna Group is like a research and statistics institute that does studies in our culture about where culture and faith begin to meet and what that looks like. And they did this huge study. And one of the things they found was that almost half, almost half, it was like 47%, of millennials who are Christian believe that it is wrong to share your faith for the purpose of trying to get someone else to come to know Jesus. That it is wrong to share your faith to try to help somebody else come to know Jesus. And the reason, the reason that we feel like that's wrong is because we live in a culture that says, if you disagree with someone, then you're judging them. And the very worst thing you can do in a tolerant culture is judge somebody else. But guys, I'm just gonna tell you, uh, this is not what Jesus says about himself. He doesn't say, hey, good for you. You found me, that's good for you. You keep that to yourself. You do your own thing and that'll be okay. No, he says, listen, I long to fill you with my spirit so that all of heaven can come into your life so that you can be a part of a bigger body and so that I can empower you to be a missionary everywhere you go ready to declare the wonders of God in your life. This is why Jesus told his disciples, hey, whenever you go out into a village and you see something amazing happen, say, hey, the kingdom of God has come near. You remember that from our first week in Acts, that definition of the church? The church is a movement of God's kingdom, fueled by the Spirit and carried by who? God's people. So Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit longs to, to, to be active in our life ethos. He longs to fill us he longs to fill us. I'm just gonna tell you, like as we ask him with open-handed expectancy, I'm longing that he will give us opportunity to live out a heavenly life as a testimony, but that we will also speak to declare the goodness of God to the lives of those around us. And I'm just gonna tell you up front, like when you do this, when the Holy Spirit begins to fill you and equip you to do this, some people won't like it. Verse 13, people thought they were drunk. Oh, these people are crazy. What's wrong with them? See that in verse 13. We're gonna to get to chapter three and the religious authorities of the day told them to stop. We told you to knock it off. Don't do this anymore. And they will resist against it. There will be resistance and you declare the name of Jesus. But the Holy Spirit longs to give you all of heaven's courage, all of heaven's peace, all of heaven's patience, all of heaven's love. And so we will do this with humility, with kindness, with an honoring posture to those around us. But I'm asking the Holy Spirit to fill us so that we can be empowered to be Jesus' witness in our city. And so when he comes, he brings all of heaven into our lives right now. When he comes, he brings unity to God's people. When he comes, he empowers us to be witnesses for God's glory. And finally, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on us, he opens the door for the nations to come into the family of God. I love this story in, in Acts chapter two because uh, as these guys are saying, hey, aren't all those speaking Galileans? How is it each of us hears them in our own native language? And then they go through and they name all these different countries or cities. There's 15 different cultures represented in the city of Jerusalem in this moment. They're all there for Pentecost. 15 different nations. And what I love is in the midst of this, God decides to give his followers this unique gift to be able to speak about his wonders in languages they've never learned before. They all start speaking in different languages so that those who are hearing it can hear the wonders of God and the work that he's been doing through Jesus. You see, God longs, he longs for all nationalities, for all ethnicities, for all languages, for all different faiths to come to know Jesus as the son of God because salvation comes through his name. 
And he longs to use his church to do it, but we cannot do it on our own. We can't. I don't know if you knew this or not, but right now there's over 80 nations represented in Middle Tennessee right now, right here in our own city. There's more than 135 languages spoken right now, right here in our own city. There's over 91 people groups represented right here in our own city. Like God has brought the nations to Nashville and he longs for the nations to know about the glory of Jesus and to step into knowing him. And he will give the gift of his spirit. Some of us are sitting here going, man, I don't know how to interact with someone from a different culture. I, I can't understand, you know, their English is broken. I don't know how to interact. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. I've, I, I'm, I have a different religion, different background. I don't know how to do it. And he says, hey, I will empower and equip you. I will give you my Holy Spirit because I long to open the door for the nations to come in. Nothing stopped him here in this story and nothing will stop him in the here and the now. I'll tell you a story of where I saw this happen just at the end of last year. It was so amazing. I got a phone call from Asma and Radwan who go to Ethos here. They used to be Muslims, came to Christ in a refugee camp in Jordan. They're refugees from Syria. Now they live in Nashville. And man, the two of them are just so on fire for Jesus. Like they're constantly, they are clearly filled with the spirit. Everywhere they go, they're testifying to the goodness of Jesus. It's amazing. They called me up back in November and they said, hey, we've got a guy, he, uh, he grew up Muslim. Um, he's a Syrian refugee, very complicated story. And he wants to get baptized. And, and I'm, they're asking me like, what do we say? And as I'm talking with them, they're like, will you just come meet with us? I'm like, oh, the guy doesn't speak any English. He only speaks Arabic. And I'm like, I don't know, it sounds hard. you know. And they're like, please come meet with us. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll meet with you. So I remember I get together with the two of them and with this man and uh, through Ozma, she translated for us. Uh, I began to find out that the reason this guy wants to get baptized, listen to this, is that he had a dream. And in his dream, he was in this really dark room and suddenly the lights turned on and he heard a voice say, Jesus Christ is the light of the world and he will lead you into all truth. And so he began searching and asking questions about Jesus. He met Ozma and Rodwan and they started answering some questions and there were some complexities to his life that he wanted to talk through and so he wanted to get together with another, with a Christian pastor and so we get together and as we're talking, I kept going, hey, God, will you give me the language of Arabic so that I can speak to this guy? He didn't do it. You know, I didn't get that form that I see here. But what I did get was unity with a former Muslim brother and sister to walk this other Muslim man to the feet of Jesus so that he could come to know him. And the only reason it happened is because God and his spirit sought this man out, came to him in a dream, and told him he was the light of the world that would lead him to all truth. And I had the great joy that night of getting to come up here to the cannery and baptize that guy into the name of Jesus. Guys, this is the work of the Spirit right here in our city that God is on the move trying to tear down dividing walls so that all nations and languages can come to know the glory of Jesus. And this is what we've been tasked with. Here's the thing, I'm convinced that God is on the move. I've been saying this for the last three weeks now. But here's the thing I'm equally convinced of is that whatever God is longing to do in our city, call it revival, call it breakthrough, call it a harvest, whatever you wanna call it, it will only happen when God's people are humbly and actively seeking to be filled with God's spirit because we can't shoulder it. I can't do it. I remember sitting in that room with that Syrian man that day going, God, what in the world? I've never been to Syria. I don't speak Arabic. I don't know anything about his story. Why? And he kept going, Aaron, because you have open-handed expectancy. He's like, it's my spirit in you. It's not you, and don't confuse it. And I know, I'm like, God, I, I can't do this. And if you're sitting there going, I can't do this, I can't be a part of being a witness in Nashville, it's okay, you know what that means? It means you need the Spirit of God, and that's a good thing. 
That is a good thing. And so when God pours out his spirit, man, we see all of heaven come into our lives right now. We see the body of Jesus united. We see the people of Jesus empowered for mission, and we see the doors open for all the nations to come to an awareness of Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, here's the thing for us. Um, I, 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 want, I, I want to just keep inviting us to persist, Ethos, to persist. Remember, persistence is not perfection. It's okay if you're not perfect. But we're going to keep moving forward and seeking after God. And I know this conversation has many people, probably opens the door to some confusion, some people are going, okay, wait a minute. You're talking about being filled with the Spirit, the outpouring of the Spirit. Jesus talks about the baptism of the Spirit. What is all that? Do I have the Spirit? Let me just speak into that tension really quickly so you don't like, like self-select out or something. But here's the reality. Is that one, the Holy Spirit is mysterious. He is God. Father, Son, and Spirit, they're all God, okay? So he, he is mysterious and he has a will and he can do whatever he wishes. But two, there are some promises and we can trust the promises of God. I already mentioned this in Acts chapter two. It says that the gift of the Spirit is for all those who will be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. So if you've been baptized into Jesus, you have the gift of the Spirit. That is a promise. But there's this other place in the New Testament where the apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, he says, listen, I want you to keep on being filled with the Spirit too often we imagine that the Holy Spirit is like a glass of water that God gave us the day we got baptized and that's supposed to last us for the rest of our lives. Jesus says, no, it's not a glass of water. He says, the Holy Spirit is streams of living water that flow up from within you. It never ceases. God doesn't run out of cool things for you to do. God doesn't run out of, of mission and purpose. God doesn't run out of hope and peace and joy and love and patience. God doesn't run out. There's always more for you, always more. So how many times should we be filled with the Spirit? All the time, all the time. We should be asking the Lord, fill us with your Spirit. This is the invitation, guys. It's the invitation. Let's not reject it because we've seen a weird form. Let's not miss it because we're only looking for a certain form. Man, let's persist together in prayer. Let's have open-handed expectancy and let's watch the Lord go to work in our church. Who wants to do that? I want to do that. I want to do that. And I want to do it with you guys. I want to do it with you guys. So here's what we're going to do. Um, you know, we take communion every, every week together as a church. And if you're visiting here, you know, communion, it's on the bar. It's on these tables kind of around the room. Communion is just the, the bread and the cup. And these things, they are the way that we proclaim the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And the, the bread reminds us of his body, represents his body. The cup reminds us of his blood that he spilled on the cross. And so uh, for the rest of our time, we are going to do a combination of praying, of communing, and of praising. And I'm not gonna give you any kind of structure for how that's gonna happen. I know some of you are really squirming right now because that feels really uncomfortable. But here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray for us. And at any given point, you can go get communion. I'm gonna put a prayer prompt on the screen. Cole, can we get that put up here? And here's just some, some suggestions for where you can begin. And so as we've done for the last several weeks, turn to the people around you, get together with two to four or five people, and let's just spend some time praying. We can ask God to help us persist, ask God to fill us with his spirit. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going, man, I need more of the spirit in my life, ask. Get someone to ask with you. We'll be at the respond banner. I'd love to pray for you, pray with you. Because when God gives his spirit, it's always good. And it always functions for his glory. So I'm gonna pray for us. We'll commune, we'll pray. Will will come up and lead us in some more worship here in a few minutes and we will persist together. Let's pray. Man, God, I love you. <laughs> you're just so awesome. I mean, you're just so good. Sometimes I, I confess, Lord, I get frustrated at the inability of my words 
the inability of a 30-minute sermon to capture the, the bigness of who you are. But Lord, you're so good. You don't, you don't need me. Lord, I, I pray right now as we go to the table, I pray as we turn, as we pray with one another, man, Father, would you give us your spirit? Would you give us your spirit? Lord, would you pour out your spirit, Lord? We need you. We need you to be the men and women that you've called us to be. We need you to be the husbands and wives you've called us to be. We need you to be the friends you've called us to be. We need you to be the neighbors you've called us to be. We need you, Jesus. We, we need you to be witnesses. We need you to have courage. We need you to have peace in our lives and have love in our lives and joy in our lives. Lord, you are the source of everything good, and so we come to you. Help us, Lord, to come open-handed. Help us to believe that you are able and willing to do whatever you want in our midst, in our city, for the sake of those we love and for the glory of your name. We come to you, God, in the name of Jesus, amen.